Have you ever had a night start out just normal, but end up where you were hiding in the shrubs in front of some stranger's house hoping the police didn't catch you? Right? Anyone? Fairly common experience in this room? <laughs> a couple of us, actually. Maybe you should share your stories, not me. Um, one night when I was in high school, I went over to my friend Mike's house, and I used to just hang out with Mike a lot. We um, usually just play video games. But this evening, I walked into Mike's house, and Mike is there, and another friend of mine is there, and they are dressed head to toe in ninja suits. And not like, they weren't just wearing like, you know, black pants and a dark sweatshirt. I'm talking the whole deal. They were head to toe with the belt and the hood and the little eye slit, and it just like, mm, okay. Here we go. Now, here's the deal. Students, if you walk into your friend's house and they are dressed as ninjas, walk out. Uh, I think the same holds true for adults. If you walk into a friend's house and they're dressed like ninjas, ask questions, but walk out. But I stayed. I, I, I stood there. I was like, okay, what are we doing? What they had been doing before I got there was they had taken all of their 4th of July fireworks and cut them open and taken everything inside explosive and poured them into um, toilet paper rolls and duct taped them up and put fuses in them. And they said, we're going to explode these tonight. And I stayed. I don't know why. So we, we start walking around the neighborhood, me and these other two guys. And it's residential. And honestly, part I'm thinking this. I'm thinking, come on, this is a neighborhood. They are not going to explode these things in this neighborhood. And I'm thinking, I know Mike and this other kid, there is no way these things are going to work, right? <laughs> There's just not a chance. So we're walking through, and we're walking behind some houses. We're like in the backyard of kind of two different neighborhoods. There's a stream and a path. And as we're walking along... I hear this, they lit the match. And then I hear this, this thing. And so he hurls it, and it just explodes. Boom. And I'm talking one of those, like, you can just feel it in your chest explosions. Just this, like, oh. And so we ran. And, and I didn't run away from them. I ran with them. But I was still with them, and I don't know why. So as we're walking further along, and I'm thinking, oh, this is, uh, what am I doing here? How do I get myself into this? I hear, boom, this huge explosion. So we're running some more, and eventually we hear sirens, because people in the neighborhood had called the police, like you do when you hear a massive explosion, like some gas main exploded, or a helicopter crashed, or something huge happened. And so we're hiding in the front of some strange person's house in the shrubbery, as lights are going past, and there's some noise going on, and uh, unbelievable. And I'm thinking to myself, how did I get here? Why am I here? Why do I hang out with these guys? So we literally, we laid there for like an hour and a half until everything was quiet again. And we get up and we dust ourselves off. And this, this other guy goes home and Mike and I are walking back to his house. And the whole time I'm just thinking, oh, this has just been an awful evening. I can't believe it. And then behind me I hear, he let off the last one. Explodes and we're running. And it's just an unbelievable evening. And yet the entire evening I stayed because somehow I've, 
was under the influence of these two crazy guys. Now, all of us, I'm guessing, have done something unwise because they've been influenced by somebody else, right? How many of you have done something of poor judgment? Really? Only that many of you? Come on, we know, it's true. <laughs> right? You've, you've, you've jumped off of something, you've eaten something, you've worn something. Look at your senior pictures. Um, <laughs> Right? Because of the influence of somebody else. It's, it's why we still do the chicken dance at wedding receptions. We're like, oh, okay, I'm in. Everybody else is doing it. Right? We all are susceptible to the influence of others. But also, in reality, we have influence. And, and you can usually think of, there's, there's always a few people that come to mind when you think of influence. And maybe negative influence. You know, parents, you always know that there's that one child who is always, you know, influenced. It's never your child, mind you. It's just that one child that's always influencing other kids. And, you know, you get in middle school and high school, and it's always like, ooh, you need to stay away from them because they're doing bad things. And then they grow up to get in trouble or be youth pastors or um, <laughs> maybe in the case of Salem Alliance, be the lead pastor. Uh, <laughs> you've heard the stories. You've heard the stories. But in reality, listen, all of us have influence. All of us are susceptible to the influence of others, but you have influence over other people, whether you think that or not. You have influence. And influence is just this, the capacity to have an effect on the character or development or behavior of someone else. To be this kind of compelling force on the behavior, on the actions of another person. Influence. And influence literally means influence in, to pour into, to inflow. It it means... Pouring into something else literally means this, you pouring your life into someone else. And so I want to ask you, who is it that is pouring into you? And who is it that you are pouring into? I read this past week that we are the average of the five people that we hang out with most. So think about that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing in your world? Who is it that's pouring into you, and who are you pouring into? Who are you using your influence with? We've been in this series deep and wide, and Steve has walked us through the past two weeks kind of what the vision is for this body of believers and what the vision is even for this city. And he kind of showed us this slide about who we are. We are cloud followers. When the cloud moves, we move. When it stops, we stop. And then why we exist, what our mission is, and where we are going. Our vision is a city at peace with God. That we want to have Salem be at peace with God. And then he showed us this slide with all of these statistics. You say, wow, this place is kind of messed up. And you can look at this and you can say, wow, that's fairly daunting. But I want to assure you that God has a plan for our city. And you are a part of that plan. Because you can look at this and you can be like, wow, I don't even know what to do about all of those things. Those are some crazy statistics. But we can make a difference. Listen, one person, one relationship at a time. That's how you look at that. And that's how you make a dent in those kind of things. It's just one person, one relationship at a time. You using your influence with other people so that Salem can be a city at peace with God. You are a part of that plan. But how are you using your influence? And are you using your influence? We're going to look at a story this morning from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 
chapter 14. If you just want to grab a Bible out of the pew there, it's on page 454. It's a great story of influence and activity in the Old Testament. But before we get there, just want to let you know that in this story, the Israelites are at war with the Philistines. And uh, Saul is king at this time. Saul has been anointed by Samuel, and uh, he will actually reign for 42 years. But he's disobedient. And God says to Saul, I will not establish your kingdom. It's one and done for you. If you had been obedient, your kingdom would have lasted, but you've been disobedient, and so it's going to be taken from you. And also in this story, we have Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's oldest son. He's the prince. God has given him some military victory. And usually when we think of Jonathan, we think of Jonathan and David. David hasn't entered the story yet. We're in 1 Samuel 14. David enters the story in 1 Samuel 16. And you see David and Jonathan's relationship just kind of take off in 1 Samuel 18, 19, 20. You can see that, that kinship, that brotherhood there. And the last person that we see in our story that we're going to talk about this morning is Jonathan's armor bearer. An armor bearer was somebody that carried the arms for their leader. So as their leader would go into battle, the armor bearer didn't want them to get too tired out before getting there, carrying everything. So they would carry, and then when it was time for battle, here's your weapons. But they were also there to assist and refresh and kind of watch the sides and the back like, hey, be careful. There's a very large man with a spear behind you. Um, Let me help you with that. And maybe walk along and uh, take care of those that are wounded at that point that they are fighting. And... um, Actually, David, later on, was Saul's armor bearer for a while. Saul looked at him and said, wow, you have a ton of potential. I like who you are. Saul didn't yet know that David would be the next king, and so he chose him for his armor bearer. And so we're going to bump into these guys in this story. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. So what's Saul doing here? Um, nothing. Saul is afraid to engage the Philistines. You see, Saul's pulled back. He's on the outskirts of this town called Gibeah. And as a matter of fact, he's about as far away from this battle as you can be and yet still be kind of considered in the battle. And it's him and these 600 men, and they're on the outskirts of this town uh, around this place called Migron where there's a pomegranate tree. And uh, he's at this kind of fortress. You just need to think of him just kind of firmly entrenched away from the battle doing nothing. There's a war that is going on for his kingdom, and he's pulled back. And he's pulled back because he's paralyzed. He's afraid to move. He's afraid to act. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel tells Saul, don't make sacrifices till I get there. And so Saul waits and waits and waits, and and he feels like his army is slipping away, and Samuel hasn't approached yet. So what he does is he kind of takes over the role of high priest, and he disregards God, and he pushes his own agenda, and he starts to make sacrifices. And as soon as he begins this process of disobedience, guess who shows up? Samuel. I mean, isn't that always the way? When you start to do something wrong, person in charge shows up. 1 Samuel 13, 10, just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. And Samuel said, 
what is this you have done? He's like, what are you doing, Saul? I told you not to do this. And so Saul gets in trouble. And so now when we see this other battle that's going on, Saul is withdrawn. I used to try and be a man of action. I tried to stir the people. I got in trouble for it, and I'm done. And maybe we find ourselves like Saul in our own story, where we understand that, you know, sure, there's a battle going on out there. There's a war that's raging, and yet, listen, I I tried once. I tried at work to share a little bit of my faith story or something I heard at church, and it just didn't exactly work out, and that's not maybe the right environment to do that, and so I'm probably not going to do that anymore. I tried to share at school, and these kids, they laughed at me, and so I'm done sharing there, and it's just my neighborhood. And we can be totally withdrawn. We can be caught up in inactivity, kind of the way Saul was. You know, sometimes... We can be caught up in activity and we even think it's the right thing to do. You know, in some instances even, discipleship has been reduced to learning about Jesus and learning about other disciples. And there's, there's oftentimes a gap between the learning and the action. Where we think it's okay to sit and learn and we don't have to do anything about it. You know, sometimes I hear that, you know, church, it's just, that church isn't deep enough. And we think deep means learning a new concept. It means getting new information. We think deep oftentimes means, you know, taking like this Hebrew word that we never heard before and breaking it down. And and boy, we, we really want to be deep. But what is deep really? The the learning piece is great, but it's so much more than that. Deep is putting what you learn into action, putting what you learn into practice. I want to get next to very intelligent people, but I want to pattern my life around the people that are actually doing it, who are actually living it. It's great to learn what it means to be a disciple, but there's significantly more that you can only learn by putting things into practice. And so there comes a time where we have to get off the sidelines. You know, fantasy sports is hugely popular nowadays, and I'm in a fantasy football league here at church, and... um, it's funny to me sometimes when I think about fantasy sports because you know, you're studying about these players and who to start and who to sit and you know their statistics and you know who's on a roll and you know who's injured and so you put them all in there and uh, you think you're a part of you know, this huge athletic program and I'm doing it from the safety of my chair with my computer. I'm not in the game. I feel like I'm winning and when I win, I get to rub it in to the person that I beat but all I did was click the mouse I'm not actually playing. I'm on the sidelines. I'm, not, I'm beyond on the sidelines. I'm not even close to the sidelines. I'm in my office, pretending that I'm a part of this wonderful sports program called football. And we can get stuck there, too. We can feel like we're spending our lives on the sidelines. We can be like Saul. We can be firmly entrenched where we are, learning a lot, but afraid to move, afraid to act, afraid to do something. And if we are living that way, then we're missing a large part of what it means to be a disciple. So Saul was paralyzed. He was pulled aside. He'd, he'd hold up in this fortress. And in contrast to Saul, we have Jonathan and his armor bearer. At the end of verse 3, it says, No one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sena. 
The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Now, here's a picture. I was kind of researching this this past week, just trying to get this visual of what it might have looked like. And uh, this photo here is what they actually think that area was. This is what they think. Those. So it's kind of a cliff on either side, and this valley in the middle, and it's, it's kind of brown and uh, rocky. So if you get a picture of what Jonathan and this armor bearer were going through. In verse 6, Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Jonathan is getting out there and he's acting and he's bringing somebody along with him. And maybe we would have been in this situation and felt like, oh, um, you know, now's not the time and we don't really have a lot of weapons and... um, how do I stir 600 men and there's no resources so I'm just going to kind of sit back. But Jonathan says, no, let's go. Right? And, and, and he just says, maybe, maybe God can help us. Maybe he won't help us, but, but God is able. And he can win a battle whether he has many or only a few. And his armor bearer said this in verse 7. Do what you think is best. I am with you completely Whatever you decide. What an amazing reaction. Do what you think is best, I'm with you. Another translation says this Do all that you have in mind, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan, I'm with you. Let's do this thing. Let's move forward. Let's act. And, and he didn't have to. You might think that, well, you know, he was kind of under his command, and so his immediate response would have been, Yes, sir, whatever you say, sir. But it was so much beyond that. But he didn't have to. Saul, in 1 Samuel 31, commands his armor bearer to do something, and the guy says, no. He gets scared. He says, no, I'm not doing that. But Jonathan, he says, it's just beyond yes, sir. It's I'm with you, heart and soul. And he's not agreeing necessarily with the military brilliance of Jonathan's attack. When you read what Jonathan's plan is, it it gave me pause. All right, then, Jonathan told him. This is verse 8. We will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are, or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. Right? That's his plan. All right? What he's going to do is he's going to step out. And if they say, come up, he's going to go up. And if they say, stay... He's going to (laughs) stay. Okay. (laughs) Whatever you say. I'm like, no, hey, um, first we're going to maintain radio silence. We're going to get into stealth mode. We're going to sneak around the other side. No, Jonathan's totally just like out there. All right? Hey, listen, I'm going to step out. We're going to show ourselves. If they say come, we come. They say stay, we stay, and that's it. Which is pretty awesome. And I love it that he's active. There's an activeness about him. Saul is firmly entrenched and he's stuck in inactivity. And Jonathan is acting. But he's acting in faith. He's acting with a trust that God can save them. God can win. God is able. Nothing can hinder him. And I love that he's bringing somebody along, which is a huge lesson for us. That Saul was stuck But Jonathan used his influence to move out. 
Jonathan used influence. It wasn't just yes, sir. It was I'm with you, heart and soul. And it wasn't just manipulation. Manipulation is the dark side of influence. Manipulation is getting next to somebody so that they will do what you want them to do. Manipulation is a relational lie. But Jonathan didn't just have this guy's obedience. He had his allegiance. And we are far more open to influence than we are to authority. We will make a far bigger difference with influence than we will with authority. We want to be guided in a direction. We don't want to be told what to do, right? We bristle when people tell us what to do. When I was in school, people were always telling me what to read. You should read this. You need to read this, read this, read this, and read this. And I'd be like, don't you tell me what to do, right? When somebody tells you what to do, don't you bristle? I love to read, (laughs) And yet still, when people were telling me what to read, I didn't want to do it. After I graduated school, I went back and read every English assignment that I never read while I was in school. I wasn't getting bonus points, but I was like, yeah, nobody's telling me right now. I'm going to do it. We're far more open to influence than we are to authority. Positional power can control somebody's actions, but it isn't guaranteed to capture their heart. And authority shapes what a person does but influence shapes what they become. So when you look at Jonathan and this armor bearer, at some point it went beyond a command to influence. So how do we get there? How do we get beyond just commanding? It would be easy to just tell people what to do, but we can't do that. How does it go beyond that? It goes beyond that by relationship. Influence travels through relationship. If you want to make a genuine difference, you need to be in relationship with other people. Influence travels through relationship. So I'll ask you again, who is it that's pouring into you? And who are you pouring into? Because we have a world that is in desperate need of relationships. We are more connected with than ever. We've got new phones, we've got computers, we've got Facebook, and yet people are lonelier than ever. People are more isolated than ever. You know what the most popular game in the world is? It's not soccer, it's solitaire. We have a world that is lonely and in desperate need of relationship, and we can't choose to live anonymous, individual, indifferent, uninvolved lives. We have to be in relationship. Influence travels through relationship. And then the wellspring of that, the source of that influence is character. You can't pour into somebody else unless you've been poured into, unless there's something in you to pour into them. The source of that influence has to be founded upon character. When we look at the life of Jonathan, we see that he was a man of character, who he is now and who we see him become. I read once that no man is a hero to his valet, that no man is a hero to his servant, no man is a hero to the person who's always next to him, who sees all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, who you tell what to do, And yet somehow along the line, this armor bearer goes beyond yes, sir, to I'm with you, heart and soul. And that was because Jonathan was a man of character. He could have been so checked out. 
Jonathan could have been just like Saul and been absolutely removed. In, in chapter 13, when Saul disobeys, Samuel says in verse 13, How foolish! You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Jonathan knew that the kingdom was being taken from his dad, that he wouldn't be the next one to get it. And yet he was still engaged. He was still engaged in the battle that was happening. And even when David comes along, there's this immediate bond between the two. And even when Saul says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, as long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go get him so I can kill him. Jonathan says no. He's a man of character. He's protecting David, even when he knows David is going to be the next king and take a position that he should rightfully have. He could have been checked out, but he was not checked out. If we want to make a difference in the lives of others, if we want to make a difference in this city, if we want to help bring peace to this city, we have to use our influence through the relationships that we have, and it has to be founded on the character of God. The things of him, the things that God is pouring into us and other people are pouring into us. And there's a great relational dynamic in the life of Jonathan. And if you remember one thing or if you write down one thing from today, anything, if you would write this down, one up, one down, one over, because I want you to make that your prayer this week And I want you to ask other people that you bump into this week about their one up, one down, and one over. Who's the one up in your world? If we look at Jonathan and this armor bearer, Jonathan was at some level pouring into this young man. And let me ask you, who is it that's pouring into you? Do you have anybody? Students, do you have somebody pouring into your life? Adults, who is that person that pours into you? You might feel like you're at the age where there's just nobody left above you to pour into. And yet, it's not an age thing. There are people around you that can pour into you. Who's your one up? Who are you using your influence with? Who have you sparked up that relationship with? What about the one down? If you're being poured into, who are you pouring into? For Jonathan, his armor bearer was a one down. He was pouring into him. We have people that are desperate for relationship, desperate to be poured into. Who is it for you? Do you have somebody? And then who's the one over? When you look at the life of Jonathan, I just think of David, and we think of that relationship and that kinship and that bond and that brotherhood that they have. You should have somebody next to you encouraging you. That one up, one down, and one over. Let me give you just an example of kind of an influence relationship in my life. When my wife was in college, she had the opportunity to go to Philadelphia and work in the inner city at a housing project called West Park. And so she did that for the summer, and when she was there, she met all kind of great people. But 
One little guy, a 10-year-old guy named Terrence, attached himself to my wife. Here's a picture of Terrence right here around that time, looking good, working on his high-top fade. Awesome. And uh, my wife's magnetic, and uh, so this young guy was just drawn to her, and uh, he was persistent and pesky and annoying and awesome all at the same time, like a 10-year-old can be. And so she sparked up that relationship with him and, and started to kind of pour herself into who he was. And I got the opportunity to go not too long after that and meet Terrence and be annoyed by him and love him as well. And so we decided that we were going to bring Terrence back to our place. We lived in western Pennsylvania. Philly's in eastern Pennsylvania. So one time we throw him in the car and we start driving out of Philly. We're about two hours outside of the city. Terrence is still looking out the back window. Like every five minutes. And I, finally, I'm like, Terrence, um, did I do something wrong? Are we being followed? What's going on here? And he said, no, no, I'm looking for the high-rise buildings of my housing project because I've never traveled further out where I couldn't turn and see where they are so I could get back. So I pull out a map of Pennsylvania. He's like, is this a map of the world? No, Pennsylvania. <laughs> we start tracking through it, and, and we get over, and we, we just had a blast with him. Spent a couple weeks, and... And uh, taught him about deodorant and socks. And we'd plan these full day events and just come back exhausted. And he'd be like, what are we going to do next? <laughs> Sleep? Uh, just really tired. But we just had this amazing opportunity to just kind of pour into him and speak truth over him. And, and uh, his dad was out of his life, gone. And his mom was um, high most of the time. And as a matter of fact, one time that Terrence was with us, his mom passed away. And uh, we went back with him to the funeral, and we sat right up front um, with him in the family section. And from kind of that day forward, he started calling us mom and dad. And so every chance we got, we'd send him money for every summer and every break off of school. We'd send him bus money, and he'd jump on the bus, and he'd come see us. And uh, we just sparked up this relationship. And I'd love to tell you that it was all amazing and great, and he was the perfect, ideal person and changing his world. And we had ups and downs with this guy. We had talks with lawyers, and there was a detention home threat at one point, and there was all kind of up and down in this, but the relationship kept going. And we kept having this opportunity to speak truth over him. Just a couple years ago, I had the opportunity, my wife and I, to go back to Philly uh, to perform his uh, wedding. I got to officiate his wedding, and so there's Terrence there and my beautiful wife there as well, and uh, what a blessing to go back. Um, this next picture here is um, his kids. Um, that uh, Even before he was married, he had uh, a couple kids, so that, those are my grandchildren right there. <laughs> Yes, you see the family resemblance? <laughs> yes, it looks a lot like that. Um, here's the deal. It's been a 20-plus year relationship of just us having the opportunity to pour into him. But I have to be honest, we have received far more from him than we have given. God is calling us into these relationships to make a change to bring people at peace with him. Kind of the rest of this story, the difference that Jonathan and this armor bearer made. Verse 11, it says, When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here, and we'll teach you a lesson. 
Come on up and climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, for the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. If you flip over to verse 23, it says, So the Lord saved Israel that day. That God used them to save Israel. Guys, there is a war going on out there as well. And God wants to use us. God wants to use you and your influence. Now, I don't know if you will make the difference in the city of Salem. Maybe you will. But I am sure that you will make a difference in the lives of the people that you get next to. One up, one down, one over. Who is pouring into you and who is it that you are pouring into? And who's alongside to encourage? 